How many of them have you had that have been million sellers? Well, actually, million sellers. We've had one million seller that was I Get Around just recently. You wrote this? Yes, I did. Hello friends, this is Wyatt Funderburk in Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome in. I'm here with Jason Brewer as always. Hey dudes and dudettes. Alright, so we just played a few shows up north and that was super fun. So thanks to everybody for coming out. We were in Massachusetts and Maine and New York. And uh, we played a fun charity event up in Portland, Maine. One of my favorite places. We ate some good seafood and uh, saw some good buds. Um, thanks to my buds, Pat and Chris, for coming out. And yeah. a bunch of other friends that we ran into. And then um, we also played Daryl's house in New York. That was super fun. Yeah, that was one of my actually fa- one of my most favorite shows we've done. A, because I'm a huge Daryl Hall fanatic, like, you know, top 10 favorite group. They're one of my favorites. But also, I thought the venue was a little different from the ones we usually play. But I thought the sound crew was really sharp, and and the place was cool, and it was just a unique place that a lot of really good musicians play on a regular basis. And our homeboy of homeboys, Dennis Kelly, came out. So DK, it was good visiting, good visiting with you and your Mai Tais and your Beach Boys memorabilia and all kinds of groovy things. We had a great time with Dennis and all the excellent people who came to the show. Oh, yeah. Your buddy Craig. I mean, Yeah, my buddy Craig came. He's been to see the Beach Boys over a hundred times, which is pretty crazy. Um, yeah. And yeah, thanks, Dennis, for sure. Like, always a pleasure talking Beach Boys with you. Thanks for the Mai Tais as well. Um, definitely made, made our night. Yep. Fabulous. So, we recently got um, some interesting news. So, as you know, as we talk about, aside from the Beach Boys on this podcast, we do from time to time talk about our Beach Boys tribute band, which we just were. We're called Sail On. If you want to check us out, you can go to sailonsounds.com and look up Sail On the Beach Boys tribute and see if we're coming to a town near you. So, the news that we got is our ultimate hero of course the whole reason why we're sitting here today talking about the beach boys uh brian wilson unfortunately has to have back surgery and i know he's had a bad back for a while now and he's still torn like crazy with that bad back which is just insane to me um and a miracle in in and of itself but he announced that he had to cancel his may shows and that included he was doing three shows with the nashville symphony So when they got the news that Brian canceled, they were kind of scrambling and they were like, oh, well, we really still want to, you know, have something for our subscribers and we really still want to have some Beach Boys music. So who did they call, Wyatt? They called you. (laughs) They did. (laughs) They called us and they wanted to bring Sail on to play with the Nashville Symphony at the Nashville Symphony Center at the Skirmerhorn, 
which is pretty intense and really crazy and a little intimidating, but really awesome. So I know that we're really excited. So if you're in the Nashville area, if you're in Tennessee, you're in the South and you want to make a drive to see some guys playing their favorite music with a full orchestra, the date for that is May 10th, May 11th, and May 12th. And I believe they still have some tickets available. And uh, it's going to be really intense, really great. And you're going to get to hear kind of a, um, you know, a view of their entire catalog in some respects. So uh, it's going to be a really great night. I know that I think we're all a little anxious and a little nervous, but not too bad. Yeah, my only fear, and I'm super excited, it, it, but my only fear is that I'm going to be so overwhelmed by what's going on behind me that I'm not going to be able to focus on what I'm supposed to be doing. I thought about that too. Because um, like, I'm going to want to listen to it, you know? I'm going to yeah. like be so like enamored with having an orchestra playing Beach Boys songs like feet away from me. But I think we'll be fine. They're going to be great. They're professionals, obviously, and we are trying to be professionals, and we're going to get there one day. One day. But um, if there's one thing that we can do, we can play these Beach Boys songs, and I'm not too worried about that. So I think That's it'll right. be super fun, and um, hopefully we can get some some bootleg audio <laughs> for you guys. Yeah, they're, we'll very, they're, being, they're being very secretive about that, but we'll see what we can do. Um, and one last thing about this whole gig is a big shout out to Mike Williamson from our group. He's having to uh, herd cats, so to speak, with him and a handful of arrangers at prepping all the charts for this. So that's uh, if you're a musician at all, you would understand that that's like man, a that is gigantic a ton of work task. But if there's one guy that can do it, yeah, that's not Mike. named not named Brian Wilson and not named Paul McCartney then I'm going to go with uh, Mike Williamson's on that list of people. Yeah, thankful to have that guy on board because uh, I don't know how we would do any of this without him. And he, he would never, and he'll never treasure. listen to this podcast, so he'll never hear our high praise. Yeah, well, you know, he has to spend like all this time with us in the van and listen to adult child over and over again. And it's he's true. just, he doesn't, he's had enough, I think, of us nerding out about the Beach Boys and, you know, as he said, my life has been a Beach Boys podcast for many years. So that's right. I think he and my wife both feel that way. So right. they are excluded from having to listen. Right. All right. Well, we're really excited, and we're really excited to talk about some all summer long here. So pretty pumped to get on that, and uh, hope you guys can make the show. And if we've got tons of dates this month in May and into the summer, so check out SailonSounds.com. Follow us on the internet and uh come see some killer shows so we're rolling we're rolling away <laughs> <laughs> today is a good day we've got a great episode for you guys and we're going to start off by catching up with some fun emails and the first one is one that's uh been highly anticipated at least by us hopefully by you guys too it's a continuation of a wonderful story of musical discovery from Chuck Hayes. If you want to catch the first part, it's in episode 10. And um, basically, Chuck was telling us about how he discovered the Beach Boys live album from 1972 by hearing Fun, Fun, Fun on the radio. 
and uh, kind of blowing his mind. And this is the continuation of that. So here we go. Chuck Hayes says, Carl Wilson had left me a clue regarding Brother Brian. Pet sounds. Caroline, no. I hit the two guys department store at New London Mall as they had the largest collection. I started my search and began working backwards in the record bin from the concert album. What? How did I miss this one? Holland? New Brian Wilson songs? This wasn't here before. 1972? Who had ever heard of this? That dude Brian looks angry as, don't take my picture, buddy. I then found Carl and the Passions, and the back of it was the Beach Boys feeding animals. What? The clue from Carl, the back cover of Pet Sounds. I recognized three brothers, Al and Mike, and Holland interested me, but as I only had seven bucks and I couldn't afford both, more research is needed. Someone had done a better job of organizing the bin, or they got more stock. I kept finding more gems that I needed to explore. As I sorted through, there it was again, Pet Sounds by itself. That's strange. The same tracks listed. Why would they have two Pet Sounds albums? One for half the price. I was starting to get a bit overwhelmed. Do I start from the beginning and work my way up? No. Stay the course. You'll get there soon. So I pushed all in on this twofer for $5.98. Ring it up. I took it home, unwrapped the two albums, hit the stereo system, and started it from side one. The album had a message on the label. This recording is pressed in monophonic sound, the way Brian cut it. Who wrote that? It seemed important. Was that a warning label in case it sounded weird on the stereo? As in, no stereo? All those Wilson credits. And Asher. Carl had said Tony Asher had written with Brian. Was he a Beach Boy? Not pictured anywhere. I knew the song Wouldn't It Be Nice. I love that song, but this is so different too from the live version. It's got a different singer. Those drums. Symphonic. The bridge. Sweetness. And joy. And then those kettles soaring. Harmonies. It came and went so fast. 2 minutes 24 seconds. I played the first side, closing it with Sloop John B. I used to borrow that 45, and I loved the story. The first mate, he got drunk. I can't wait till side two. I am by myself soaking this all in, and then it happened. God only knows. So that is the part two of Chuck Hayes' story, which is awesome. So, thanks, so Chuck. So let me, let me get this right here. Yeah. <clears throat> he heard Beach Boys in concert stuff on the radio. Yep. Got stoked about going back further in the catalog, and that's how he discovered Pet Sounds. Yeah, that's how he discovered Pet Sounds. It's pretty amazing. Wow. Hey. He, he kind of like uh, wasn't following the Beach Boys, and right. um, when he heard Fun, Fun, Fun on the radio, the live version, it kind of piqued his interest. Well, that's and incredible. And kind of went backwards from there, kind of just that's- doing his own research, kind of detective style at the record store. Yeah, as we've said before, it's so awesome to hear these stories about how people find this music and and how they discover the catalog in strange order. Um, I mean, that's awesome. You know, Pet Sounds via my one of my all-time favorite Beach Boys records. The two, two of my favorites together. Way to go, Chuck. Thanks again, Chuck. We look forward to the next installment. So I thought it would be cool to read a couple emails that we got from Australia because in our timeline that we're going to pick up on today, the Beach Boys have just come back from their Australian tour. And um, the first one is from George D. He says, hey, Wyatt. Hey, Jason. George here writing from Melbourne, Australia. I just turned 20 and I'm a new Beach Boys fan. But when I say new, I don't mean I've become a fan in the last decade or so. I mean in the last six months. Wow. The Beach Boys have become my favorite band and a significant part of my life. What an exciting time for a boy in his 
early 20s. <laughs> that is so cool, man. I remember the feeling, um, at least, you know, always being aware of the Beach Boys, but kind of discovering pet sounds in my teens and that it was just one of the most exciting times of musical discovery for me. And I know Jason shares that experience too. Oh yeah. Um, it started toward the end of last year when I began to take in interest after Weezer released a song called beach boys dedicated to our beloved group. Oh my gosh. I've been a big Weezer fan for a while now. So if the beach boys were an inspiration to them, I knew I had to check them out. However, my initial listening was only the surface level, extremely mainstream stuff, as I have no idea where to start with this band's gigantic discography. Then in December, I flew back to my home country of England to visit my dad, who I see every year or two since my parents have always been separated, and discovered that he too had a moderate interest in Beach Boys music. We began to bond over this, and both dove in to the more obscure and lesser-known records from the band's history. I bought Mike Love's Good Vibrations book, and read through it quickly, coming out the other end with an extreme fascination for the Beach Boys' past. We both watched Love and Mercy together and were in awe of the troubles Brian and the band had been through. We even had some drunk, emotional nights that would end with us sitting in the kitchen countertop and just talking to the sound of Beach Boys' music playing. That's awesome. There you go. Though my stay was a short few weeks, this time cemented the Beach Boys as what will likely be my favorite band forever afterwards. That's pretty incredible. Because of my age, though, and being so far away from my dad, I don't really have anyone to talk about my love for this band. And so stumbling upon your podcast was a saving grace in such an exciting time of my life when I'm constantly discovering new unreleased tracks and sessions and loving the boys more and more each day. So thanks. My favorite Beach Boys record, after Pet Sounds, of course, is Today, and my favorite song is God Only Knows. Keep doing this awesome podcast I'll be listening for as long as you record it. Sail on, sailors. With gratitude, George D. Well, that's pretty incredible. That is a great story. It's really cool to hear that you discovered um, the band through Weezer, which is really interesting. I remember when the first Weezer album came out in 1994, when I was 13 um that you know there was some definite beach boys reference i was already pretty familiar with the beach boys stuff i wasn't a, a mega fan at 13 i was still just into the to the basics and the and the hits and some pet sound stuff but i kind of immediately recognized it in their music and i think it's really cool that even through that slightly ghastly song <laughs> yeah that you you got into uh you got into the band. That's incredible. Um, and you know, there's some Murray talking on the end of their song, uh, <laughs> yeah. which is pretty, pretty, pretty weird. Um, but yeah, that's really great. I hope you get way into being a huge love you and MIU fan. Then you'll know you've made it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, George. That's awesome. And I love hearing the stories about all these younger guys bonding with their dads over the beach boys. That's uh, definitely something that, that, um, uh, I share as well. So keep listening. We really appreciate you writing in and we really appreciate you uh, sharing your stories with us. Thank you very much. Up next, another email from Australia. This is Charlie Needle. He says, hi guys, I've just discovered your podcast. A big thanks for producing it. You asked for details from your listeners. So here's mine. I'm a 63 year old from Australia and the Beach Boys have provided the backing track to most of my life. One of my first musical memories was from the summer of 1966 or 67. I was at a friend's house playing records, and his older brother had a new record that he played, Good Vibrations. I remember hearing the chorus with its good, good, good falsetto and thinking how wonderful it was. Then the organ part. I'm now sold on this song. 
But the bit that took my breath away was the break after the ahs when they hit the chorus again. I couldn't believe how wonderful it was. Absolutely lifted my soul. I would give a lot of money to feel that way again. That set me up for life as a fan. A couple of things to note. The boys were more popular in Australia than the U.S. When they dropped out of favor in the 70s in the U.S., they still had hits down under. Interestingly, their biggest hit was Cotton Fields. From memory, it was on the charts for about 26 weeks for the summer of 1970. It had a constant radio presence. It was added to the Sunflower album here. The late 60s were big in Oz. Crazy. Do It Again was the staple. It's summertime tune for the radio until the mid-80s, and Don Henley's The Boys of Summer took over. A bit like moving from Michelin Star Restaurant to a Greasy Spoon, in my opinion. But I'm a bit biased. Nice. And to complete the circle, now I heard about your magnificent podcast. Obviously, there was Beach Boys music in the house, but my son watched the I Just Wasn't Made For These Times video when he was about 11 or 12. Hmm, I just realized about my age when I heard Good Vibrations. And I really connected with the sounds. He may have even realized why I named him Brian. He dug up all my old Beach Boys and Brian Wilson CDs and vinyls, made his own mixtapes, substituting a bootleg, hang on to your ego for I know there's an answer, discovered the Pixies because of that, and generally became a fan. I told him about a new group I discovered called the Explorers Club, and he mentioned the podcast, hence this email. I'm catching up on them. I've just listened to the Christmas edition, and I can't wait to binge on the next ones. Thanks again for taking the time to produce them. Cheers, Charlie. Wow, what a great email i mean that's incredible to hear about the the first time you're hearing good vibrations and i can imagine that you know that'd be a an unforgettable feeling that you'll want to try to recapture somehow so that's pretty incredible and um i mean awesome to know i knew that cotton fields was on the uk but i guess it was on the australian version of sunflower as well and it's pretty great to know that um, how much the Beach Boys music still is influential in Australia. Pretty awesome. I've got a good friend in Australia, and he's a big Beach Boys and all kinds of Sunny Pop fan, so it makes sense. Yeah, thanks very much, Charlie. Love hearing that story. And again, another cool story about um, this time about a father bonding with his son over the Beach Boys. So... Man, what a great theme that we have going on here. And thank you guys from Australia for listening. I think we've gotten about four emails from Australia so far. So that's really, really cool. If anybody ever um, runs across a band called the Wellingtons, they're a great uh, power pop band from from Melbourne that is fantastic that I've worked with in the if past. If you've got any Australian people listening, they just need to book an Australian tour for Ceylon. Oh, yeah. So that brings us up to speed. Today, we are going to be talking about the sixth album the Beach Boys put out. Is that right? It's the sixth or seventh. I think it's their seventh, isn't it? Let's get to our computers and find out. Yeah, it's the sixth. Okay. Okay. So the album is called All Summer Long, and it was one of their biggest albums that they would ever release. And I would just like to say it's probably the turning point for the beach boys in their sound and their focus um and we'll talk about that in a bit here but it's a very important album and it's a pivotal album in their career we talked last time about shutdown volume two and the huge success of the beatles as they came over in february of 1964 and how the beach boys were kind of having to play catch up a little bit with them 
they were doing a lot of TV appearances at the time. And one of the first ones they did was on March 12th, 1964, on the Steve Allen show. And they went on and they played Fun, Fun, Fun live. And it's a really cool performance. You guys should check it out. And you can really hear how amazing they are at that point in time. It's just pretty astonishing. And they are just like nailing it. The blend is awesome. Yeah, I mean, they just nail it. And they're, you know, it's just effortless. I mean, they've been playing so much at this point. They've been touring a lot. You know, they just got back from Australia, like we said, and um, they're just ripping it up. And um, even though the mix is really bad, I kind of dig it because you can really just hear the vocals. And um, they just seem like they're having a good time. Well, she got her daddy's car and she cruised through the hamburger stand now. Seems she forgot all about the library like she told her old man now. And with the radio blasting goes cruising just as fast as she can now And she'll have fun, fun, fun till her daddy takes the T-Bird away Fun, fun, fun till her daddy takes the T-Bird away Well, the can't stand it cause she walks, looks and drives like an ace now You walk like an ace now, you walk like an ace She makes the Indy 500 look like a Roman And on a couple days later they played American Bandstand, the Dick Clark show Um, and... They showed up and they were actually pretty disappointed because they were only lip syncing Don't Worry Baby with no yeah, instruments. Bummer. And they were pretty embarrassed about it because, I mean, it's silly. I mean, it's like, you know, they, they're they a rock and roll band and they want to play their instruments. And yeah, they're not the four preps, you know. No. And they, they had to stand there awkwardly, you know, in their tight pants and lip sync this song. And, um, you know, when it came on TV, Carl said... We saw how he looked, and we died a thousand deaths. It was awful. And I think Carl might have been um, thinking about how tight those pants were on him at the time, too, which <laughs> we'll get into more about Carl's tight pants as we go down the timeline. I'm okay but, if we don't. But yeah. No, we will. Don't worry. It's part of, it's, it's part of the mythos. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they're playing a lot of shows around Southern California, as they always do, and I think Brian's in writing mode at this point. So they're kind of staying around the home base, working on the next big thing. And um, on April 2nd, they go back into the studio to start recording the next big single. And the song is I Get Around. This session is the famed session where Brian fires Murray as their manager. Apparently, Murray was criticizing the song and criticizing Brian's production and he was rambling on about what a loser Brian was and how bad the music was and how that he was Jeez. the only one that was talented in the family. And at one point he insisted that Brian stop the recording session altogether because the bass was wrong. And Brian reportedly grabs Murray by the shirt and says, Dad, you're fired. Get out. He just couldn't take it anymore. And... Um, if you guys haven't heard our Murray Wilson episode, go listen to that because there's a lot of fun and um, sad, but also some uplifting moments in that story. But I think, you know, one telling thing about that is that after that moment happened, Murray didn't retaliate. Murray went and stayed in bed for bed, about a yeah. month, from what I've heard. And he probably man, never thought they would stand up to him. No. Um, and it really broke his heart. Um, I think, you know, Murray hid his true feelings but he he really loved his boys and he really just wanted the best for them but he had a lot of problems with his own ego and 
you know, him going and getting in bed for a month is really telling about whatever mental illness he and Brian may have had or um, very foreshadowing about, you know, Brian's future. Um, so really sad, but um, a necessary moment for the Beach Boys as Brian had to break away from his dad and uh, regain his confidence in the studio and kind of just become his own man, his own, you know, human being. And um, he relied so much on his dad for, you know, confidence and the drive that he had. But um, I think at this point, you know, the, they were doing so well and that they were cranking out songs and Brian realized that he could do it on his own. And the next few weeks, they would keep working on songs for the album, as well as making a few other appearances. They filmed some scenes for the album Girls on the Beach, and one of those, you know, 60s summer beach movies, little silly stuff that, you know, Gary Usher worked on, and um, Nick Vinay was like an executive producer, and um, they performed in the, in the movie Girls on the Beach, Lonely Sea, and Little Honda. And um, those clips are available on YouTube. They're pretty funny. There's a funny clip of Dennis talking after they played. I love seeing that old stuff and that old footage. Um, I love the little clip of Brian singing Lonely Sea on the beach. Oh, yeah. Kind of just sitting around. It's just, I remember seeing that when I was young and just like being enamored with it. And Little, little Honda's pretty entertaining. Oh, yeah. It's super good. <laughs> Dennis is kind of playing off this this actress that's dancing with him and stuff. And it's just, it's fun. Um they made a TV appearance on May 12th on the Red Skelton show, which was really interesting to me. It's kind of a show for a little bit of an older crowd. And um, so they show up and they're they're singing over this. It's either a backing track or it's a like studio orchestra type thing. And um, the arrangement is kind of awful. It's like these like terrible grandiose strings and stuff. And um, they're doing In My Room. And they're in this like weird, like the library. library. <laughs> yeah, and they're wearing like suits. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't mind the strings. I know it's not. It sounded like the stuff that the Christmas arranger guy sure. would have done. Yeah, so. I mean, it's just very like adult contemporary sound. Wow, they would got to sell it to the adults. They're the ones who watch TV. They did, yeah. So that's why they're sitting there. That's why they didn't wear their stripes. They were wearing suits and they were like trying to look all nice. And they sound amazing. I mean, the singing is wonderful. Oh, yeah. Um, Dennis in there, too. Yeah, and you can actually hear Dennis in there singing. So it's like all five of them singing In My Room, which is an interesting choice because that song, you know, obviously wasn't a hit at the time. But I guess they they picked it out because it was, you know, a little bit more of a, you know, a ballad that maybe the older crowd would get into over like something like Fun, Fun, Fun or I Get yeah. Around. But um, they released uh, the album all summer long, July 13th. Um, and it reached number four on the Billboard charts. It remained there for 49 weeks. And it was recorded and released during the peak of Beatlemania. So they were able to kind of push through and um, reestablish themselves as America's band. Boom. And um, it's pretty fantastic. And, you know, it was all basically due to the success of one song. And that's I Get Around. Round, round, get around, I get around, yeah, get around, round, round, I get around, I get And I Get Around came out as a single 
and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but maybe the best AB single they ever released. It's I Get Around, backed by Don't Worry Baby. Now we're talking. Which is just an incredible AB. You know, like both songs charted. I Get Around was their first number one hit in the U.S. And it yeah. peaked on July 4th. How American is that? I know. My friend... James Abercrombie, who does all the awesome artwork for all the Explorers Club albums, super talented guy. He bought a jukebox for his house, and he asked. He said he was picking a single by each of his good friends that he wanted to put in his jukebox to represent, you know, some of his friends' choices. He thought that'd be cool. So he asked me what I would pick, and I picked that single. Um, I get around and don't worry, baby. So he found the 45 for a real good deal on eBay or whatever. Put it in his jukebox, so I'm in his jukebox, and my name's on the little tag, I guess, Jason's Pick, and that's my pick for my favorite single, A-B. That's so awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's a crazy double-A-sided single, really. I mean, and um, it was their first number one in uh, the U.S., and it was their first top ten single in England, which is awesome. It's huge. I mean, especially, like, you know, think about what was going on at this time, the British invasion in, the, in America, and then just how, you know, Everyone in England was just going crazy about the Beatles and the Kinks and the Rolling Stones, and it's just like the Beatles um, were just ruling everything. But the Beach Boys just said, "Well, guess what? We're still here. We're not going anywhere. You just this gotta... is all summer long." And it's just kind of a way of saying, "Like, look, we're not going anywhere. We're here all summer long, baby. Like, this is our <laughs> this is our season. This is our city. This is our town. This is our country. And we're gonna even get into your country and have a top ten hit." their earth yeah man um surfing earth so no what but the thing is you know the reason the uk thing does make sense to me because i mean the whole reason the beatles were who they were and every other british rocker is who they are because of their fascination with american music so i think the people to this day love brian there and so it makes sense it is it is quite a feat though you are correct we talked a little bit about I Get Around on our last episode, which was about the Wrecking Crew, because this one was the Beach Boys, which they played you know, all their regular instruments, but they also were kind of augmented by some of the Wrecking Crew guys, you know, Ray Pullman and um, you know, Glenn Campbell and Steve Douglas, Hal Blaine. Um, they were kind of playing over the top of the boys, and that's kind of what was going on in a lot of these songs on this record, where the Beach Boys were still the backing band, but the Wrecking Crew would come in and add instruments and do parts and overdubs. Yeah. You know, I think there's something really cool about that, and um, it's, you know, maybe the most, like, recognizable sound of any Beach Boys album, especially I Get Around. And I love listening to the sessions for this. I love listening to them put the song together and how it grows. And the vocal arrangement is huge. And, and uh, you know, I, the, the hook of the song was actually something Mike came up with because he was listening to Barbara Ann by the Regents, you know, the, the ba, ba, ba. And he was thinking about, you know, a good hook for the intro because Brian originally just had it going, get around, round, round, I get around. And Mike thought maybe round, round, get around would be a great way to start it. So he was right. That was a huge hook. And they did it twice in the song. Um, and that became, you know, one of the most iconic intros the Beach Boys would ever have. The Beatles were ruling the charts at the time. And, you know, pretty much the spring was all was all Beatles all the time. And then Brian said, 
Then in July, something changed. The top song wasn't by the Dixie Cups, Mary Wells, or the Beatles. It was by us. I Get Around was our number one, right, right above My Boy Lollipop. I couldn't believe it. I Get Around was also our first gold record. And it wasn't just how many people were buying our records. It was how people were talking about our records. They made us out to be the next great pop act after the Beatles. Though we had been putting records out for years. And some people were saying we were even better. That our songs were more interesting or sophisticated. In a lot of ways, this was the peak of their success and popularity, at least from a financial and, and um, you know, record-selling standpoint. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah, I had a bit of trivia for you, Jason. All right, well. lay it on, lay it Trying on me. to throw some of this trivia in there because you're such a, a, a music nerd. This remained on the charts for two weeks at number one until it was replaced by what song? We're talking 64... We're talking 64 I, I get in around. July, oh and it's goodness. another American artist. Now, what other American artist or group could possibly knock off the Beach Boys during Beatlemania? It's going to be an older act, isn't it? Maybe, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. So it was a Four Seasons tune. Was it? Yep. Was it? Yep. Um, what Ragdoll was it? It's Ragdoll. Yeah, that because that was their first huge huge song i mean they had other really big hits sherry was really big but ragdoll was like the tune well I mean, we've that, talked we, about that before where the yeah. the beach boys and the four seasons kind of ruled the coasts you know yeah. respectively and i thought that was such an awesome fact that you know during beatlemania both the beach boys and the four seasons had a number one hit back to back and just kind of were like look we're still here we're not going anywhere yeah. The Beach Boys well, rule the West Coast and the Ford the Be- Seasons rule the East Coast. The Beatles made all these bands step it up and 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 become more artistic and be more even oh, a, little, yeah. a little edgier. We talked oh, about yeah, that. Oh yeah, for sure. So. Yeah, I mean of course and like, you know, they these guys loved the Beatles. I mean, obviously, like these guys all like were, you know, were big Beatles fans and whether they admitted it or not and they were they were also very jealous but and competitive, but Man, I know it, it drove Brian because he was so inspired by them, too. And Carl was a huge Beatles fan. Yeah. You know, he started playing that that Rickenbacker. Oh, yeah. And um, you can look at all their haircuts. And they started growing their hair in, like, the Beatles fashion, you know, for a little while there. It was just mm-hmm. so funny. Well, they were kids, too. They still, You yeah. know what I mean? And, like, yeah. the... The, they wanted to be doing, I mean, especially Carl and, and Dennis are still like, what, teenagers yeah, at teenagers, this point? Yeah, teenagers, yeah. So, I mean, they're still wanting to be like their high school friends, you know? Yeah, no, it's awesome. And um, God, like, how crazy is it that like these, you know, teenagers and, you know, both the Beatles and the Beach Boys are in their teenage years and early 20s and they're just ruling the world. It's just pretty amazing. Um, such a cool time to be alive and to be a music fan. Um, and they're putting out such great records too. So, yeah, I mean, just to, to sum it up, I get around is just one of the, you know, biggest songs the beach boys ever had. It became a staple in their live set and still is to this day. Um, you know, I'd, I'd have to say like, it's, we've been, we've been talking about when we're going to get to our first stone cold 10 as Garrett called it. And you know what? I'm on the fence here. Like I was, I was very close to giving this song a ten, but I'm going to give it a nine out of ten. I know that's controversial, but I'm I'm withholding the ten. I'm giving this song a nine out of ten, and that's a strong nine out of ten. And I've I've only given maybe one other song a nine out of ten at this point. So 
I feel very, very good about my nine out of 10 for I get around. Yeah, I feel like this is a nine out of 10 for me as well. I think it's one of the best, if not the best example of Brian Wilson and Mike Love collaboration. Um, yeah. I, there, there may be others down the line, which I actually know of a few that I could think of, but this is quintessential to say the least for that combo of writing. And I love on the track here when we've talked about this before, but I mean, I love the two drum sets going on in this and this has harpsichord, which there's not a lot of harpsichord on other tracks from 64. So I kind of want to point out that in 65 and 66 and 67, when all the psychedelic and folk rock started bringing more harpsichord into the fold, I think this is an early example. I mean, there's no Beatle tunes that have harpsichord yet on a track. So he beat the Beatles with the harpsichord sound, which became a big defining sound of 60s rock. So that's always cool to me. Definitely. Um, I also wanted to point out one more thing um, just about the lyrics of this song that I think, you know, are very telling. I think at this point, you know, Brian and Mike are writing lyrics that kind of have like a deeper meaning if you really listen to it. Um, where this is one of their, you know, songs that's, you know, about kind of being confident and like having a really great, um, car and all that fun stuff. But I love the line that says, I'm getting bugged driving up and down the same old strip. I got to find a new place where the kids are hip. You know, I think they're looking for something more, you know, they're looking for something more in their sound and like the scope of what they're doing. And, um, at least I know Brian was, and he was getting, you know, fed up with, you know, the, the status quo and like he was breaking away from his dad and he was looking for his own identity and, you know, kind of like expanding his mind and getting into a new whole bag of tricks. So I think I, I, that line has always meant a lot to me, uh, much more than just, you know, the face value. All right. So let's move on to the title track. Oh yeah. All summer long. got Brian kind of leading the session here playing the marimba and um, that was also kind of a cool you know it kind of defines this song to me like when, when you hear that intro um, it's just kind of undeniable I remember you know back when back when uh, I was a teenager that that was the song that that the restaurant Sonic used for all their like summer promotions they'd have that song just pop in you get the marimba and then it was just like oh man feels like summer now (laughs) sonic it up baby yeah the thing i love about this you know this wasn't a single right it was just the album title track and um it didn't really get single or really a lot of radio play until the 70s until uh the use in the in the in the big movie uh, american graffiti because it's at the outro of the movie that's right and that's how this this song got super popular and i think they put it on isn't it on endless summer Yes. And that's only because of the popularity of that movie. 
Yeah, um, I love this song. It's got you know, it's it's got a great arrangement. I think you know the vocals are obviously like huge. They just explode. Um, the really cool like kind of counterpoint vocals going on. Um, you can really hear like you know Brian's sophistication at this point, and I love the little piccolo solo as well. Um, it's just a really cool song. It just always makes me feel like summer's here. You know, it might just be the Sonic ads, but um, <laughs> it just really does, man. It's awesome, and I love the. I do love the little the little chord shift. You know, it's like kind of a, a variation on like the classic doo wop chord progression where they go from the one chord to the flat three chord and it's such a cool you know kind of like funky shift um very much like what happens in the warmth of the sun um in a just a little bit different way but um brian's definitely experimenting with some things here that nobody else was and um i love it man i love the sound of it i love the the lyrics i love all this stuff man i give it an eight out of ten i give it an eight out of ten as well it's super original if you it thought really about is. that with that song because it doesn't sound like the other surf bands it doesn't sound like jan and dean or bruce and terry or any of that stuff it just sounds like brian wilson it's incredible a near perfect beach boy song yeah great stuff moving along we got track three um this is a cover of a song that was originally done by the mystics it's called hushabye uh written by don pomas and mort schumann um and uh, I got a little bit of trivia for you again, Jason. I bet you know another huge song that those two guys wrote that uh, by an artist that you love a whole lot. Elvis. Yep. And I mean, he, they wrote a bunch of stuff for him. Well, the biggest one, Viva Las Vegas. Yeah, Viva Las Vegas, I was going to say. Yeah, that, that song rules. Uh, also featuring the members of the Wrecking Crew on that track. That's right. Which is a great time to remind you to check out our Wrecking Crew episode we just put out. If you haven't listened to that yet, dig in. Yeah, for sure. Um, and this is, you know, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of the Beach Boys doing covers, but I mean, this this is done so well, and I love the vocals on this. When I was a kid, I used to always hum this song, and it got stuck in my head all the time. I didn't know that it was a cover. I used to just you know love this song i thought about it all the time when i was writing music for the first time um it's just got a great feel i think mike's vocal is fantastic on this obviously brian's falsetto is just i don't know if it ever got better than this um yeah it's pretty intense the vocal break in it is just you know so so good it just all sounds awesome and the arrangement's great obviously the the playing is great you know they're just firing away um and uh, it's a great way to, you know, kind of present a song that otherwise, you know, on its face, it just isn't super interesting. Um, just kind of a, a four chord song with some, you know, mildly interesting changes and in, in lyrics. But the Beach Boys just nail it, of course. And Brian's vocal, it just blows my mind every time I hear it. He's just so good. Like I said, I think it might be his best singing. Um, and... I give it a 7 out of 10. I'm going to give give it a 7 out of 10. I mean, you kind of nailed all the things I was thinking about it. The great vocal sounds. And it is a really cool song. Great doo-wop tune. Um, not much more I can say than what you said. It's just a great little tune. I always loved the incredible vocals on it. I imagine that it would be quite a thing to have been there when they were cutting that, to listen to that. 
Yeah, there's a cool uh, version on the Good Vibrations box set. Um, well, there's yeah. there's the live version on there, but there's also the one where they have vocals in one side and instruments yeah. in the other. You know, love it. And uh, that was the one that when I was um, when I first got that box, my dad got it actually um, in the '90s when that came out, and that was the one that I would listen to, and I would just listen to the vocal side, you know, <laughs> and I would just like nerd out about it because I was like so obsessed with it. Um, yeah, just such a great recording, great arrangement. Good job, boys. You did it. <laughs> So, coming up next, a big one. We got Little Honda. Boom. Go! I'm gonna wake you up early Cause I'm gonna take a ride with you We're going down to the Honda shop I'll tell you what we're gonna do Put on a ragged sweatshirt I'll take you anywhere you want me to First gear, it's alright Second gear, a lean fast and fast. Third gear, hang on tight. It's alright. It's not a big motorcycle, just a groovy little motorcycle. Um, this wasn't released as a single by the Beach Boys, but it was released, you know, by Gary Usher with one of his groups called the Hondells, and it was kind of, I mean, it was funny. I mean, like they kind of created the band around this song. Yeah. Um, and they were a band that was just basically playing songs about motorbikes. And this was a song that they, that Gary heard and was like, that's a hit, so I'm going to do it. You know, if Brian's not going to do it, and Brian was like, yeah, sure, go ahead. And the Hondells had a big hit with it, so the Beach Boys scrambled to put it out, but the Hondells had already kind of solidified their version as the hit version. Um, but I think the Beach Boys version is far superior. I do love the Hondells, but this version's awesome. Uh, it's it's a it's a great driving song. It's one of my favorite car, hot rod, or biking songs that they ever did, and um, I I love this song. I love playing it when we do it live. Jason sings it when we do it. It's a fun song. I think I'd I'd give it a seven out of ten. Yeah, it's a great Beach Boys rocker. Seven out of ten for me too. Cool. Let's move on to track five on side one. We'll run away. This is the final collaboration that we see from Brian Wilson and Gary Usher. I think, you know, this is a song that I think a lot of people overlook, and I, I guess, you know, maybe it's just me, but I really enjoy this song. I think it's I think it's really sweet, and I love the... It's, it's also kind of a precursor to I'm So Young from today, and then obviously Wouldn't It Be Nice on Pet Sounds. So it's like songs that are kind of about like being too young to get married and... Mm-hmm kind of eloping or whatever and obviously brian's dating marilyn who is underage and like the whole thing you know the whole like kind of um wanting to be adults and be able to do their own thing and it's very um relatable to teenagers and i think you know that whole sentiment was very strong with brian and um uh, i think it's a really sweet song There's really cool core changes going on here, and I love the vocals. And uh, 
I think, you know, Brian's performance is great, and I give it a 7 out of 10. Man, I love this song so much. I love when the the tape cuts out, which I guess he was trying to do intentionally, like experiment with the, to drop it out to just thing. But if you listen to the track without it, it sounds kind of like a terrible edit. And you can kind of hear it on the stereo version of the song a little clearer. Um, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna go off the reservation here with you, and I'm gonna give it an eight because it's such nice. a, it's a strong song. It's I mean, nice. I go an eight, even maybe so more based on just personal, obviously personal preference, because I think I played this song constantly, and it does remind me of a Spectre ballad too. Um, yeah, not entirely, but it definitely has that feel, but. It's super original. To me, it sounds out of time, and even in a way ahead of its time from a lot of the rest of this album. So, um, yeah, it's a big one for me. I'm going to go, why not? Eight out of ten. I love it. Yeah, I do too, man. It's 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 a really fun song. It make, makes me happy every time I hear it. Um, and, man, yeah, like I said, Brian's just singing is incredible. Um, yeah. Moving on. We've got our first filler song, in my opinion, on this record. I mean, it, while, while it is a really great record and it's one that really feels like a cohesive album, there still is some filler. And um, this is a, another Carl Wilson guitar solo feature. This one's called Carl's Big Chance. Love and it. And it was originally titled Memphis Beach. And I think that's such a better title than Carl's Big Chance. But whatever. Um, it's basically like Boogie, Boogie Woody Part 2 for me. And um, I think, you know, it's it's obviously Carl's been listening to some other stuff. It sounds a lot more like Chet Atkins this time than than like Dick Dale or anything like that. But um, it's definitely got some, some country western influence and some more blues kind of riffs going on. But I think, you know, the sound of this, this record actually is really awesome. I love the way the drums sound on this song. Um, oh, yeah. And... I love, you know, Carl's playing. I think he's obviously getting a lot better as a player. Um, he's only, what, like 16 at this point. So it's like, <laughs> it's it's still pretty amazing to to think about that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to put this song against songs like, you know, all summer long and, and I get around, you know, on an album like this and, and not be disappointed. So I... I I, as much fun as it is, and and I still, you know, do enjoy it. It's just, you know, it doesn't compare to those songs at all. Like it was just kind of a throwaway thing for me. Um, I give it a three out of ten just because I love the way it sounds. I'm gonna go four out of ten. They went out of their way to even put horns on it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, they were definitely going for that Memphis sound, which is funny. Yeah. Um, no, I really dig it. His guitar playing's cool, and the track sounds so good. So. Four out of ten, and man, everybody's got to have their big chance. Yeah, I wish they had gone with Memphis Beach. That's just such a better title. Um, well, that's the name of my, uh, you know, my next uh, tribute band. It's just Memphis Beach. It's just all, you know, Beach Boys covers done soul style. I look forward to that. Um, <laughs> Paul, Paul sings every song. Oh, perfect. Um, all right, so up next. We've got side two, which uh, has some real bangers on it. Um, kicking it off on side two, track one, with Wendy. Another Wilson and Love collaboration. Awesome. 
Yeah, man. Um, this is a great song. Um, I think the thing that sticks out the most to me about this song is how huge the vocals are, how thick and rich the vocal arrangement is. Um, there are several overdubs of vocals here, and um, it's just a huge, huge vocal stack, and um, the boys sound awesome on this song. I love Brian's organ solo. I think that's pretty fantastic. It's a something I always get a kick out of on this song. And the chord changes are great. You know, the the sentiment is is real, and it's just it's just a great song, man. It's one of my favorites on this record. What's your ranking, bro? Well, um, I'm gonna give it an eight out of ten. I really want to give it. I really want to give it a 9 out of 10, but I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10 because I don't want it, I don't want to get crazy here, but I really crazy. do love this song. Yep. I'm going to go 8 out of 10 too because can't get enough of the sound of all the instruments and the sound of the vocals. And I love the, maybe it's just Mike by himself. I know live it was Brian and Mike together. But yeah, it's just Mike on the record double, it, but yeah. His vocal is so good on it. It is um, good. And this is this is one that's just the Beach Boys. There's no wrecking crew on this song. Yeah, the so track, you got Brian playing organ and piano. You got Al on bass guitar. Yep. It um, sounds more modern than a lot of their stuff. You know, sure. it's it's another one of those out of time songs. Like I think it and you know, strangely, it does sound a little like a Four Seasons tune. A little bit. Yeah, it does. Because no, the I mean, Four Seasons had all those songs with the girls' names, and this yep. kind of fit into that vibe and the sound and the spacey organ tune. Oh, man. Love it. Can't get enough of that. Eight out of ten. Yeah, check out the version that they did on Ed Sullivan, if you guys can. It's on YouTube. Yeah, the drums are really cool on that. Super, super Dennis, good. Dennis is behind the groove a little, and it's yeah. nice. It kind of drags in a good way. Yeah, I love it. And you got Brian and Mike doubling the the kind of the, the little verse lyrics. Um, yep. It's really, really fun. Um, really, really good song. Great arrangement. Love it. Great playing. Great singing. All that stuff. Moving on. Track number two. On side two is Do You Remember? Love it. So this is a Mike Love and Brian Wilson tune. This is a rewrite of a song called The Big Beat that Brian wrote for Bob and Sherry, who we've talked about before. Brian's um, roommate, Bob Norberg, uh, his group. So um, it's kind of, and both songs are very similar, but they rewrote it. They're both about kind of this, you know, nostalgia, like old rock and roll, like all the artists that they grew up listening to and all that stuff. Um, and it's kind of a gimmicky song, but um, it's pretty fun. Like it doesn't really do a whole lot for me. But um, I do enjoy it. It's got, you know, some cool lyrics and some cool moments in it. 
give it a five out of ten i'm going five out of ten i love this tune actually um i'm way into it i really like some of the goofier tunes on this record i really love this whole album which i'll touch on later but i remember when i got this on cassette and uh man i loved cranking up this goofy little song i love the the lyric in there about the critics kept a knocking but the stars kept a rocking was kind of cool kind of clever mike love lyric because mm-hmm. it was very true early rock and roll was dismissed as you know teen garbage so i like that they kind of insinuate that it's still we're still here we're still rocking or whatever um i dig that and it's a goofy tune but man it's fun i love and brian's vocals on it are awesome sure well both of them but i mean it, it, he's singing like crazy cool stuff so um for a throwaway it's one of their best throwaway songs to this point yeah i'll accept that um i think you know they obviously were still trying to fill up the album with stuff and this was just an older song that that they uh kind of reworked and they were known for doing that a lot of times um always their whole career yeah so moving on we've got girls on the beach by mike love and brian wilson and this was a song that was featured in the movie Girls on the Beach in the opening. And it is, in a lot of ways, just kind of a, a continuation or kind of a rewrite of like the surfer girl, you know, template. Um, but it is so much more sophisticated in arrangement and composition. I think the lyrics are, are whatever. I could, I could do without some of the lyrics. But you can really hear, you know, the sophistication of Brian's vocal arrangements on this and the singing. And I love hearing Dennis on the bridge. It's such a cool little, awesome you know, vocal. Yeah, it's just so different, and it just jumps out at you. Like obviously, it's Dennis, and um, you know, it's there's a bit of an authenticity to it when you hear Dennis singing about, you know, the girls on the beach. I mean, it's just something that you know, obviously Dennis lives for. that would be a good time to to mention the the cool uh liner notes on the album or on the back of the lp rather where i think you've got you know like all of the beach boys pictured and you've got like a little quote from each of them and i always thought dennis's was great it says uh hi they say i live a fast life maybe i just like a fast life of driving my stingray and xke playing my drums and meeting so many girls and guys especially girls I wouldn't give up this life for anything in the world. It won't last forever either, but the memories will. 
Thank you for writing so many great letters. I hope I can answer them soon. I'll see you in your town, Dennis Wilson. Which is just such an awesome Dennis thing to say. And, you know, they're all really interesting and I won't read them all, but um, it's such a cool way of kind of, you know, getting more personal with the Beach Boys. I think they were trying to compete with the Beatles in that way because the Beatles were obviously just like such big personalities, all four of them that the, the Beach Boys and, and, you know, Capitol Records was like, let's just, let's put each of them on the back and like put their picture and have them each say something that would, you know, be, you know, indicative of their personalities and try and push that forward. Um, and uh, we didn't even talk about the album cover, how awesome that is too. I it's one of my favorites. But yeah, just them hanging out on the beach, all the different shots. and um, But yeah, so, I mean, this song is great. Uh, it kind of, you know, it kind of wraps up um, kind of the beach theme. Like they really didn't come back to that for a long time, maybe until like do it again. Um, on this album, you know, you've got like songs like girls on the beach and don't back down and all summer long. And I get around to a certain extent that still were kind of, you know, holding on to that old, um, the old themes that they kind of built the band around. And uh, they kind of started to abandon it after this, but girls on the beach is just a crazy good vocal arrangement and, amazing performance and um especially brian's vocal is just killer uh and i give it an eight out of ten uh i'm gonna go seven out of ten um it's awesome love the dennis vocal my brother's a big fan of that song girls on the beach i remember when we had the cassette and the then he got the he got it on vinyl i think like later when he was in high school or something or in college but um you know, much later after hearing my cassette, but I remember him loving that song. So it's always a cool memory. Very cool. Love it. Um, I wish I could get, I wish I could get a copy of that movie. I need to do a little bit more digging, but, um, I'm thinking we should maybe do an episode on a bunch of those dumb, you know, um, beach movies from the mid sixties, some of the Annette and Frankie stuff. And, the ones that had the Beach Boys and the Hondells and all that fun stuff in it. It'll be fun to do an episode on those. But I can't find a lot of them. It's really hard to get them. But we'll do our research. We'll figure it out. Because um, we need something to watch in the van when we get our TV set up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Coming up next, we've got Drive-In by Brian and Mike. This is another reworked song. But no one would know at the time because they hadn't heard the original version of Little St. Nick from 1963, which was, um, you know, for whatever reason, they did two different versions of Little St. Nick. And this was one that they didn't use, and they reworked the lyrics to be Drive-In. I love Drive-In. I got a good story about Drive-In. It's got kind of of that, like, you know, early Beach Boys kind of, like, goofiness to it which is fun and it's kind of one of the last songs that you'll hear that has that kind of quality to it where it's kind of a gimmicky jokey song the track Um, is really good though it is it is a really good track Um, so it's better than those early garbage tracks even though it is goofball town yeah but it still like throws back to songs um you know as as early as like uh county fair and stuff like that has that kind of feel to it um but yeah, I mean, I, I like it. It's fun. I, I enjoy it when I hear it. And uh, I think it fits on the album really well. And I give it a 6 out of 10. Don't sneak your 
Great. I'm going to go 6 out of 10 as well. I'm a big fan of this song. And a great story I heard is a friend of mine told me um, that he was involved in an interview that Brian Wilson was giving for a documentary. And he told me that the interviewer was sitting there and said, All right, Brian, I want you to tell me about your favorite sessions that you ever did, you know, the biggest sessions of your career. And so Brian immediately started saying, Well, we're sitting there and we're doing drive in, and everything's just thumping and a pumping. The band is sounding great. Mike's really just knocking it out with an incredible vocal, and the band is just blasting away. And we got the, the horns from the wrecking crew guys just kicking, and everything was just thumping and pumping. And he gets, he's getting really excited about talking about drive in. And all of a sudden, the interviewer is like, Brian, no, 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 no. I want to talk about smile. You know, that's what we want. That's what we want to talk about. The biggest part of your career. He's like, you know, what was your favorite session you ever did? Trying to trying to guide him to say something from smile. And Brian's like, well, I was driving. <laughs> so, and it was classic Brian. But Norbit. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but I mean, so for that alone, I love driving. But that's I'm just. Great. Yeah. I mean, I love. Me and a, me and uh, the old bass player who used to be in uh, Explorers Club, my buddy Wally, we used to always just really get a kick and a laugh out of lyrics that had food in them, uh, like Sam Cooke songs about the the coaxer in the ice box and you know Chuck Berry stuff, whatever, where they had like a goofy food reference. Uh, the was always just really funny. So um, <laughs> Drive In nails it. It's on the top 20 funny food songs so because of the buttered popcorn it's pretty funny the fact that mike love sat there and wrote lyrics about buttered popcorn um definitely is is up there coming soon our favorite beach boys food references well that's just brian stuff in those gold <laughs> interviews from the early 80s those are awesome i like food <laughs> <laughs> moving on we've got not really a song at all but another like kind of goofy spoof track called our favorite recording sessions, which is basically like a gag reel of recording sessions. You know, that wasn't um, on my cassette. Oh really? Yeah. That and Carl's big chance. They weren't, they left them off. I wonder why time or I don't know why there was enough time on the cassette, but it, because they were like, there was a, in the name of the cassette, I had two versions. I had all summer long, but the name of the cassette was Beach Boys, I Get Around. Huh. No, you know what? I take that back. That's not true. Let me strike this from the record. It didn't. Yeah. It did have Carl's Big Chance, but it didn't have our favorite recording sessions, and it didn't have I Get Around on it. That's how. They didn't put I Get Around on the cassette. Weird. I know it's. I gotta find out. I need to. I need a uh, one of our listeners that's like the ultimate collector, um, you know, the the keeper of the vault to email us and let me know if I'm wrong there. I gotta find my cassette. It's in a box somewhere. But, um, anyways, I wish somebody would write in and let us know what what that cassette running order was because i remember it was missing something big and i think it was i get around which is weird all right anyway so what is there to say about our favorite recording sessions because uh, i don't really two out of ten <laughs> i'm not I gonna it, rank it i give it a two out of ten specifically for the <laughs> that yeah yeah 
Um, I love that. Mike does. <laughs> just little nice. finger, yeah, finger, little finger, finger popping. Some finger popping on He's the like, Put that on there. It'll be a million seller. Million and two seller. Can't get enough of One more. Hey, will you take that off? You look like George Washington. I, I yeah. love all that. So I mean, two, it's funny. Two out of ten for that. And, you know, they were trying to build up that, you know, they're just trying to get get to that point where people love them as as individuals and they think they're funny like the Beatles and they were trying to put that across. So, um, how, how, yeah. how incredible the, would have the album would have even been upped, even though it's a little bit old, it hadn't, it was never released. How about they have, I do on there or something? Well, like yeah, that. I mean, that would be amazing, but yeah, but you know, whatever. Um, or all dressed up for school. Sure. Yeah. would be great. Moving along, we got one more track here, getting to the end. And this also signifies the end of kind of the surf songs for the Beach Boys. What a way to go out. It is. Um, song called Don't Back Down. Don't back down. Don't back down. Don't back down. I love this song. It's a it's a song that um, when I was growing up always stuck out to me, and um, I love the lyrics of this. Um, I love the you got to be a little nuts. Show them now how you've got guts. Don't back down from that wave. It's very much it very sounds like Murray Wilson, you know, like when he's like, "Hey boys, you got any guts? Let me hear it," you know, where he's just like always pushing them to like go harder and compete and stuff and like just seems like something that brian was struggling with and that he was you know kind of pushing himself to you know compete and they had to compete with the greatest band to ever come along the beatles at this point so it was a huge uh task and they were able to do it with this record and and with with uh, i get around but don't back down is such a great sentiment you know it just like carries over into any any part of life it rocks um and yeah the song just rocks man it's 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 great they're killing it and it's got a great you know uplifting message and it's got a great uplifting key change into the chorus you know so it's really fun and um i love you know the vocals i love the outro and all that i give it a seven out of ten yeah i'm gonna go seven out of ten with you i think it's one of their best surf songs and uh it kind of fits the mold of a lot of the you know surf bands of the era so it's definitely maybe not their most original however they are just as brian would say thumping and a pumping at full speed here great 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 song the drumming on it's great i guess it's dennis just killing it um by the way so um, mm, yeah i guess it is dennis although hal blaine is listed on the session as well oh he's the drummer sorry dennis well they got both got credit for drums they both are credited so who knows oh but you know there's two drum kits i think because one, you know what i one, bet it's just like what they did with all, probably the same method for i get around because there's this kick drum that's going through the I whole thing i was gonna thing. say it might just be um hal blaine playing kick drum Cause it sounds it, it sounds like it could be Dennis on the kit for sure. Yeah, the fills sound like Dennis. Yeah, um, so it's probably both, and it's awesome. That's why it's so good. Yeah, it's great. And there's some extra there's some extra um, bass on there by Pullman too, which rules. Yep. 
So yeah, come on, bring it. Wrecking Crew on a Surf Song with the Beach Boys. Killing it. Does not get any better. Seven out of ten. Yeah, man. You know, I want to end with another quote from Brian about this record and just something that we've echoed before, but he says, that whole album is a turning point for me and for the band. Or maybe it makes more sense to say it's a turning point for how I understood how to write for the band. Um, It definitely marked the end of the hot rod and surfing era. And, you know, I think they had to kind of reestablish themselves um, with everything that was going on uh, with the British invasion and um, they couldn't abandon their sound, but they also had to take it up to the next level. So I think I Get Around was the perfect song at the perfect time um, to really be the song of the summer for 1964. And, you know, at that point, they were just going to start playing all over the place. They played a ton of shows that year. And um, Brian would go into writing mode and would start writing some much more sophisticated and adventurous material. Um, I mean, going just into their very next releases, um, which we'll get into soon, but, um, you know, don't worry, baby. And I get around those songs just kind of like catapulted the beach boys through 1964 Yeah, and, um, you know, solidified them as America's band in my opinion. And, um, any other, uh, remarks on this record jay well before i give you any remarks what's your ranking of the album as a whole okay well my ranking it's one of my top 10 beach boys records i give it a eight out of ten you know so even with some kind of clunkers on there i think the album as a whole stands up so well because of the overall theme and feel and the playing and the sound and the scope and the advancements um And I think there are five great songs on this record. And um, I think those songs kind of push forward the others and elevate the album to, you know, one of the best of its era. And it's one of my favorite Beach Boys records. Love it. Yep. Eight out of 10 for me. It's a big, big album. I love I had it on cassette for forever. Had it played it all the time. Definitely helped mold me as a songwriter, too. Um, and a musician and a just music fan in general. So I love all summer long. If you are listening to this podcast and you've never listened to that album all the way through, give yourself 30 minutes and do it. It's a, uh, it's a great, 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 great collection of Beach Boys music. And I did want to say one little quick shout out on this. There's a great interview somewhere, a breakdown of the album with some details that we didn't go into um, from this radio show called The Vintage Rock and Pop Shop, I think is the name of it. Um, A guy I know does it, and he interviews our good buddy David Beard, and they did a whole... a whole like hour long interview about each track and breaking down. And I remember I was at the gym listening to that not too long ago um, on a good jog listening to that. It was a great interview and really insightful. And I I don't have a link I I could share with you, but just Google it or YouTube or something. Um, Good little interview. So if you want to get even more into all summer long, there's a lot of material out there about it. I just had one more thing that kind of, um, pushes forward the end of the era for the beach boys that whole sure. concept um going back to the cover art oh i love um, the cover so yeah they they took all the photos 
outside of the couple photos of Al Jardine, because he wasn't there, at uh, Paradise Cove. Yeah. Which was where they shot their very first album cover, Surf and Safari. So it was kind of coming full circle and kind of marking kind of the beginning to the end of kind of the surfing and hot rod era for the Beach Boys, which I thought was really cool. It's one of their best album covers of any of their albums. Because the Beach Boys had good album covers and not so good for a long time. And I think this is, I mean, if we're looking top five, this is in the top five of their best album covers. I agree. It's and, awesome. Um, yeah, and and it sells the record, man. It just looks like they're having a great time, even though I think it was like winter time when they were out there. Yeah. They've got like jackets on and stuff in some of the pictures. But uh, it's it definitely pushes forward the idea of the all summer long and the endless summer vibe and... They, I love that they had stand-ins for like their wives and girlfriends. They had like models in there, but nice um, going, Capital. Yeah, um, but you know, um, we love this record. Obviously, um, it's super exciting to be able to talk about this era for the Beach Boys. So um, there's all types of topics we can dive into. Um, I think that next week we're going to do an episode on. The honeys and spring as well. Ooh, spring. Because we've kind of like been skipping over some of the honeys releases because I was kind of saving them up. I wanted to talk about them in full. Very interesting stuff from both groups and very um, exciting to talk about. So we're going to try and get to that soon. But thank you guys for listening. As always, you can find us on the web at sailonsounds.com. You can find us on Twitter at Sail on Sounds and on Instagram as well, Sail on Sounds. And you can write us at sailonpodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 615-606-3887. And we look forward to seeing you guys out there on the road, possibly check us out. And um, as always, hang on to your egos and we'll see you guys real soon. Sail on, sailors.